the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Pastor John Allworth. behaviors and addictions are rampant in our society. People are in bondage to alcohol, drugs, pornography, codependent relationships, and more. If you or a loved one is stuck in the cycle of shame, guilt, and continued destructive behavior, keep listening. Recovery Radio Houston with Pastor John Allworth and Tony B. starts now. They'll take your calls and share how the healing power of a personal relationship with Christ saved them and can do the same for you or your loved ones. God wants you to walk into the light. Recovery Radio Houston is live. Good afternoon, Southeast Texas. This is Pastor John Allworth of Recovery Radio Houston coming to you from our new time slot at 4 p.m. And we are so happy and excited to be here with you. There is indeed power in the name of Jesus. I'm here with my co-host, Tony B., and our very special guest, Philip Anthony Sines Hall, author of the book, From the Bullet to the Bible, A Gangster's Tale. And Tony, this man sitting right here proves beyond any shadow of a doubt what we always say on this program, and that is, is nothing is impossible for God, that no matter where you've been, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you've done, God has forgiven you, and God has a mighty purpose for your life. All you got to do is get the free gift that he offers, the freedom because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen, Amen. brother. Amen. Amen. Can I hear? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, brother. I can't hear myself. Yeah. Well, okay. sometimes that's a good thing, but I don't it's know. It's the headphone. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, guys. This uh, but is, I'm, I'm going to say something I've been waiting to say all week since I found out we have a guest. Uh, this guest is like, uh, forget about it. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I've been dying to say I'm from New York. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Hey, guys, this show is about hope. The hope that Jesus Christ offers to the lost, to the brokenhearted, and specifically those that are under the bondage of addiction. So if you've uh if you if you find yourself tonight, you know, and and you're under the bondage, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, I don't care if it's lust, if it's if it's jealousy, if it's greed, yeah. if it's anything that you're under bondage, you know, you're a slave. The Bible tells us you're a slave to whatever you obey. But there's there's hope. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. And if you're out there and and you've got a loved one and and you don't know what to do, well, join us. This is this is a this is a journey of a spiritual journey, a spiritual journey of freedom. And how do they join us, Pastor? They can join us by calling one eight hundred eight zero eight five five four eight one eight hundred eight zero eight five five four eight. You can call us for prayer. You can call us if you have a question for Philip because we're going to go through his incredible life journey uh, this afternoon. Uh, you can call us if you want recovery resources because that's what we're here to do. Is we're we're here to to help people and you know as this guest is going to prove if you open your eyes and you open your heart, there are always people out there 
that are that are waiting that God will put in your path to help you through whatever you've been. So let's open in prayer. Father God, we we come to you today, Father, with such gratitude. You are so magnificent and so amazing, Father. And the things that you will do for us, if we'll just open up our heart to you, are just incredible, Father. And and we we ask that that this show help people, Father. That that it help them because we can't help them, but you can. That it that this show points them in the direction that they have open hearts to change, Father God. We we. St- said at the beginning of this show, if we just help one person come to Christ, it's a success. And we hope that we help someone come to Christ today through this remarkable story and testimony that we're going to hear from Philip today, Father, the remarkable transformation that the relationship with Jesus Christ has done in his life. Father, we pray for healing in our land. We pray for protection. We pray for wisdom in our leaders uh, to deal with the circumstances that we're dealing with in the country. We pray for healing. Let us come together, one nation under God, and and, uh, let, let us follow you and and put all these other distractions aside. We pray all these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, we're we're excited today. Uh, we've got Philip here. And Philip, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, we're, um, just, we're just excited to have you because you not only wrote a book, uh, which I've got here. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Well, first of all, i got to say all praise and glory goes to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Because uh, without him... Uh, I'm a dead man, you know, and wow. that's a fact. Uh, the book, it came along by complete accident. That's all God's work. Uh, I barely got out of school, let alone know how to read and write. Um, but uh, when I had got released or I left Colorado, uh, I was actually excommunicated from the state of Colorado. I flipped a coin to see where I was going to go, and it landed on a place called Bolivar, Texas. Amen. And uh, where God wanted you. <laughs> I never heard of Bolivar. Uh, last thing in my mind was to leave my home, but I had to go for other reasons as well. And uh, I came to Bolivar. Uh, I do have a, other than running in street gangs and, and dealing in organized crime, I do have a trade, and it's kind of an oxymoron here, but um, I'm a concrete guy. So uh, we own <laughs> we own good fellas. Concrete car. shoes. <laughs> we own the size you. Yeah, forget about we're, it. We're, we're, we're going fi- to find out this remarkable story. But you know, so. Philip's got a this book that he's written. He's sold out right now, but they're ordering some more copies. He's also got a ministry from the Bullet to the Bible, and and I, wa- I always like to start at the end so that people know the transformation that God's made. But now we're going to go back, and we're going to go back through your life so people can hear your testimony and understand what God took you out of. And uh, and then we'll end up and we'll go through some more detail about what you're doing now in your ministry, et cetera. So let's 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 tell folks, uh, you know, buckle your seatbelt, folks, because this is a remarkable story. <laughs> uh, but let's, let's if you don't mind sharing your life with our listeners a little bit. Again, we're with Philip uh, Hall, who who wrote the book from the bullet to the Bible, a gangster's tale. This is a man that came out of the mob and is now on fire for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. So let's go through your life a little bit. Tell us where'd you grow up? OK, I grew up in Denver. Uh, inner city Denver, uh, compared to Houston, you kind of think about it. I didn't know about they would have street gangs or not because I've heard that a lot. It being Denver, Colorado, uh, but every every city, every state has its inner city. And uh, I was about eight years old. You know, I, I joined the gang at eight. Uh, it was called the Warlords. Um, my father, he was a recon specialist, and to all those out there serving, you know, God bless you. Thank you for your service. But he was a Marine man, and he had come back from Vietnam, and he brought a lot of stuff with him. Uh, I could call, I call it junk. Um, he he had some suffered some vicious things, and he brought that home into our household. 
I was, uh, I'm the oldest of six kids. Uh, I'm not picking on families nor my own. You know, I, I know the, I knew right from wrong at a very young age. Uh, I chose to go another direction by choice, but there was a lot of abuse in my home. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to shout at your fathers out there, man. It starts at home. Yeah. And uh, we have a big responsibility. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty for me. If I could go back and change some things, you know, I would. Uh, but it, it started in our home. It was abusive to my mother. Uh, she, uh, my last name is Sains. Uh, the hall came later on when my mother remarried. That is my stepfather's name, who's no longer with us. But he was, uh, he was a good man. And uh, I don't. I, I. Where do you want me to start? Well, <laughs> let, 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 let's, eight years uh, old. You joined a gang at eight years old. It was a neighborhood thing to do. And anybody uh, from the East Coast or out that way, hey, little rascals with that age. Yeah. <laughs> so. It, well, what, what kind of stuff would you be involved in? Is a lot of theft. In a, in, in there, a gang? there was a lot of theft. Back in the day, uh, young people wouldn't know what I'm talking about now, but we used to steal car stereos and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, speakers. And we yeah. stole just about everything. And and nobody it, can catch an eight-year-old kid. Yeah. And nobody if, nobody it, really it, wanted to. And if they do, it's a slap on the wrist, I suppose. So, uh, and so how many, uh, what age group were people were in this gang? Uh, they ran all the way through 18, early 20s. Okay. Um, there was a regular street gang. Um, during my thefts when I was young, uh, I'm not going to go into the, how, to the uh, in-house abuse too deep, okay. but, but during my, uh, my thefts, I remember uh, in our neighborhood, there was a strip mall, and uh, on the, the name of the strip mall was, uh, there was Giovanni's Drugware, Drug Store, Giovanni's Hardware Store, Giovanni's Bakery, Giovanni's Restaurant. So you know where I'm going. Right. Uh, Giov- John Giovanni had owned this strip mall, and we used to go on our bicycles every every couple of weeks and, and make our rounds. And I mean by, uh, you know, hit certain parts of the neighborhood. Um, heck, we were running our own. We were stealing bicycles and selling them at a flea market on a weekend. So some of the neighbors probably bought their own toys and tools back from us. But um, John's in the supermarket. We used to collect uh, baseball cards, football cards, as when we were young, and we used to go hit those stores. And my buddies would run in and distract the the clerks and such, and I'd be stuffing my pockets full of whatever I could, baseball cards. And this one particular time, I I, I looked uh, down the aisle and there was a pretty large man staring at me, and he says, "Hey, boy, what are you doing?" Well, I'm stuffing my pockets, and I'm like, "Hey." Uh, you mind your own business, old man. And he said, are you, are you stealing? And I said, hey, guys, let's go. So we all ran out of the store and jumped on our bicycles and were heading out. And this was a very large man. He was 6'4 and easily, easily 400 pounds and some change. And uh, he made it probably to the edge of the parking lot there. And I looked back on my bicycle and I saw him bending over. And I hollered back at him, uh, you'll never catch me, you fat, and said a few choice words. And we jumped on our bicycles and took off. Uh, life went on, you know, I'm still doing my, my thugging thing and, and being a, a punk. Uh, I, I moved from junior high to high school and as about a year later and on my way home from where the high school was located, I had to walk by this strip mall. Well, you know, it didn't dawn on me that a year ago I was chased off or something and I'm walking through the, down the front of these stores and as I'm passing the bakery, I stop for a minute and I'm smelling the, you know, the the pastries and it's got a fresh smell. It, it, the place smelled great always. That whole block did. But uh, when I was walking by the restaurant, somebody grabbed me 
but yanked me out of my shoes, slammed me against the walls, ran me through the restaurant to the back area where the busboy station was and slapped me around, bloodied my nose up. And uh, he shook me, and I saw his face, and he said, I'll never catch you, you fat. What did you call me? Mm. And I couldn't believe it, it, I, this guy got me. And, he goes, and it was a year later. So he didn't remember. It kind of tells you the mentality. He had the of memory people. of an elephant, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was real freaked out, and I was probably about 14. And I was, hey, man, what are you going to do? You're going to call the cops on me? What are you going to do? And he's like, no, you think the cops are going to pay me all the money you stole from me? Now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go home and tell your father what you did, and then you're going to get a black pair of pants and a white shirt, and you're going to be here tomorrow and come to work for me. Hmm. You understand that? And I said, yeah, man, whatever, whatever. Just let me go. I'll pay you back. And man, I darted out of there, and, and I ran home. I never told my father what I did. And for the next couple of days, I avoided that, that walk home. Couple days later, I come home and I walk into the house and I go to my room doing whatever it was I was doing, and on my bed's laying a pair of black pants and a white shirt. And uh, my father walks in and says, "Man, I don't know what you did, but I know who you angered. You will be at work tonight." So this is how you got the introduction into uh, people that were in organized crime, so to speak. Yeah, I didn't know anything about mafia. It didn't yeah. mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, we're in the in the in the eighties, and uh, that's about the that's about the end of the mafia, the eighties and nineties. I mean, as we knew it back then, thanks to surveillance and such, it isn't like that what it was before. But Big John was probably one of the last of the old guys. So that was Big John, the guy that chased you. Big John Giovanni. He was from old country. He was Sicilian, mm-hmm. and uh, he hired me, and I went to work for him as a busboy. He paid me an hourly wage of like two dollars and ten cents, but he kept all my tips. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the way so how did you escalate? Uh, by the way, we're, we're interviewing Philip. Uh, it's Science Hall, uh, hyphenated. And Philip Science Hall, uh, he's the author of the book, From the Bullet to the Bible. If you'd like to join the show, you can call us at 1-800-808-5548. You can ask Philip questions. You can call for prayer. Uh, or you can call for recovery resources. You don't have to give your your actual name. You can be anonymous if you want. If you just want to know about a relationship with Jesus, give us a call. Join the program, 1-800-808-5548. So, Phil, how, how did you graduate from the, you know, stealing the baseball cards to uh, up to the, to the big league, so to speak? Okay, to back up real quick, when I was eight years old, there was a rock in my family, and that was my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I don't care how tough you were or what gang you were a part of or what you were doing on Sunday. You better be ready to go to church because Mama's going to come look for you. And she had a set of knuckles on her that never missed your forehead. <laughs> so she kind of kept things together. And when she passed, uncles and relatives and all that included, it's kind of like when she left, Jesus left with her. Right. So I knew of Jesus when I was young. You know, but she planted a seed. She did, and she uh, she prayed over me when I was really young. At eight years old, she gave me a verse, and I put it on the back of my book. It's titled uh, Matthew 5, verse 8, uh, from the, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. And that's how the Lord will identify you, recognize you by your heart. Right. And uh, I always carried that verse, and I didn't really know what it meant. But my the foundation of my book is based on the power of prayer. It's not why I'm not the reason I'm here at all by any means. Right. And and prayer is powerful, man. Prayer prayer is is one weapon and tool and and a defense mechanism. It's it's armor. It's our communication with our Lord and Savior. 
And power, the power of prayer was strategically placed into my life as I grew up. When I worked at uh, Giovanni's, my grandmother would have the ladies from church come to the restaurant and they'd write on napkins, praying for you, Philip, praying for you, little Philip. And that, that went out through my, that went on throughout my life. You know, I think uh, we all have, when Tony and I were in our depths of our addiction, uh, we had people praying for us. Some, some of which we realized and some of which we didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. And prayer is, you know, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful indeed. Uh, amen. And, so, um, you know, you, you don't even have to tell anybody that you're praying for them and you don't even have to know who's praying for you. It's like you, you shout it out. Once it leaves your mouth, the angels go to work. And that's how I understand it. And um, I was working for John uh, probably uh, about a good year, maybe plus. I don't recall how long it was. So you're for 14, him. 15, 15 yeah. to sit? Okay. And I'm in high school. Um, I wasn't doing very well in school. It was just a place I'd go visit. Uh, I was destined. My, my goal was to be a future gang leader. That was my goal. There was no talk in my home of how'd you do today in school? How was your homework? Uh, none of that happened in my house. No encouragement. No, yeah. my pops, he had a hard time. You know, now we're just starting to talk. Uh, the God is, is the God of restoration. Amen. Um, but uh, rough childhood. That's, I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Um, when I was working with John, he had a funny way of conducting himself. He was very quiet. He moved slow. He had two guys that would come in and, and visit with him. And, and I would call them uh, wise guys or good fellas. <clears throat> they strictly hung with John. Big John had a table that he sat at. Nobody sat at that table but John. And every once in a while, these guys would come and visit with him. But they didn't even sit at his table. They would sit adjacent. And one particular time I remember uh, distinctly because this is what started the change in my life. A guy came in to meet with John, and he sat at Big John's table directly across from John. It's the first time I had seen one of the wise guys come and sit next to the guy, so he was kind of trapped in the corner. And then another guy sat across uh, across the way. And they had a meeting, and then they had, uh, instead of instead of leaving out the front door like normal, they came back to my station. Now, where I worked, there was a bus station, there was a bread warmer, there was a door that went to the next business, John Old, and another door on the left that went to another business that he owned. There was a door behind me and a door that led to the alley. One time prior to this, I asked Big John, hey, where does this door go? And he looked at the door behind me and he said, what door? I said, this door right here, Big G, what's what's the handle? It's Where does it go? It's always locked. And he says, I don't, I don't see no door there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you get where I'm going with that. Well, these guys came back toward my area and before the restaurant opened. And, oh, by the way, real quick, if you got kids out there, you can never go wrong by putting them to work in an Italian restaurant. (laughs) um, I get that. (laughs) (laughs) They uh, they walked back toward the area I was working at. It's the first time I've ever even uh, talked with these men. They never talked to anybody. Uh, the little guy that was with him uh, walked back here. The guy that worked for John, I assume he worked for John, opened the door that didn't exist, and they went into that door. The last guy coming through stopped, and it's the first time he ever spoke to me. And John never called me Philip. He always called me by my middle name, Anthony. And he said, little Anthony, um, he goes, uh, if anybody, 
and I remember this strong because it really changed my life. If anybody comes back to this door, other than the two that you see here every day, can you put one between his eyes? Mm. And I don't know why I answered the way I did, and, and I answered pretty quick. And I said, yeah, I, I can do that. And he took out a thirty-eight revolver, and he put it on top of the bread warmer, folded it over in a towel, and he went into that door. And I remember looking at the gun. Now, now, when I was young, there were guns in gangs, but there weren't drive-bys yet, and none of that was, was really there. If We handled things with our fists. But I grabbed that gun, and I remember holding it, and I remember it making me feel very powerful. Mm-hmm. I, and I felt, like, special. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it, and I don't want that to sound misleading or, or sick, but I, I felt a lot of power. Yeah. I put the gun back. I thought they were gone for like, I don't know, a half hour, but it's probably about 20 minutes. That same guy came back through, grabbed the gun, and he said, hey, little Anthony, you see that? Uh, see the keys over there on Big John's table? And I looked, and there's nobody in the restaurant, but his keys are there. You know his caddy out front? I said, yes, sir. He says, can you drive? I said, yes, sir. Take that caddy, drive around the back, pop the trunk, leave the, leave the keys in the ignition, leave the car running. Pop the trunk, walk back around the front, and go back to work. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, I can do that. He took $100, stuffed it in my pocket, most money I made in a long time. Sure. And uh, I did what he asked. Uh, I didn't see them guys for a couple of weeks. I never saw that little man that they were with ever again. It was never discussed, never talked about. Uh, okay. A couple of weeks later, they walked back in the door, and their business as usual, and, and that was my first taste of, of the mafia. That was their their gentle introduction to you, I believe so. So so, where did it go from there? John had built a rapport with me, and I'm going to say Satan went to work. You know, Satan don't sleep. Yeah, and it's a that, big. That was when you said you felt power with that gun. That was the enemy, man. He was. Oh, he was. He, he knew. was all over you at that point. Yeah, and that that's a big lie to all you guys out there. Anybody listen who's incarcerated, you know what I'm talking about. And you guys on the streets, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the camaraderie you want to call outside of your home because you feel uh, blood is it's the friends are thicker than your blood. Yeah, well, you're empty. And, you're looking for a family. You're looking for it's to belong. out there. Yeah, yeah, and it comes with open arms. And John, Big John, came with open arms. He kind of, uh, in a sense, adopted me. He he took me under his wing. We built a built a great rapport. He was the only guy to ever ask me how I was doing in school. Yeah. And I was like, John, I'm doing good, man. I got, you know, my math class, I'm going. He goes, you're lying to me. You're failing this, you're failing. He actually checked up on me. Uh, so what kind of stuff did they get you uh, involved in once you once you were initiated, I, so to speak? After that, um, and I had, had built this, it's, it's a lot of detail in the book. Uh, John pulled me out, and for the first time I got to sit at his table. And... Uh, I, I assumed it was a good thing at the time, but yeah. I, I sat at his table and he brought out a big jar of change and it had dollar bills and such in it. And he said, what do you think of this? And I said, man, that's a lot of money. And he said, this is all the money you stole from me because he had been keeping my tips. And he said, I'm going to give this back to you. This releases you from me. I'm buying your freedom with this. Now I don't got to hurt you. And, um, if anybody understands or is familiar with the mob life, uh, you understand what I'm saying when he's buying your freedom. Uh, in his eyes, he owned me because of the wrong I did to him uh, on, a, on a real minuscule level. 
So he said, take this money, do something good with it, and uh, you're fired. Go get a job. And he kicked me out of the restaurant. And uh, I remember I used to run around with the warlords. They would come try to visit, and he, he chased them off. And one thing I remember when he had kicked me out, and he said, these, these punks you hang out with, these warlords, what are they? And I said, man, those are my people. That's, those are my bros, man. That's, that's my gang, my crew. And he said, a crew. You call that a crew? I think they're a bunch of punks. I don't ever want them around my restaurant again. And, and, and wise up. You know, I got to know you a little bit, little Anthony. You got two choices, two things you can do here. You can either own the street or you can be the street. Decide what you want to do. Mm. And go learn how to use these. Get a job, man. Get out of here. And so I left John. And uh, I, I, we had moved to a, a nicer neighborhood. My father had got a job with the, with the Denver Fire Department. And we moved out of inner city and moved into a nicer neighborhood. And we had made other friends. And with other friends, uh, he didn't like us going over to their houses as kids. And I, I made a good buddy, and I went to his house, and I remember uh, looking in his cupboard. And I remember they each of the kids had their own little box of cereal and their Lucky Charms and Captain Crunch and whatever. And I wondered, why is our, why is our box of cereal uh, all one the same and all one color? It's a black and white box. And I had all these questions for my dad, and that just kind of angered him more. Uh, there were a lot of kids, and we was, uh, you know, we was on welfare and, and things like that. And uh, going to this better neighborhood, uh, I made a friend, and he introduced me to a, a company that he was working at after school. Uh, and I wanted to do better, you know. Uh, I had my grandmother on, on my back. And remember that. My grandma still prayed for me mm-hmm. through all this time. There were people in the church praying for me. Uh, so he introduced me to Cinemark Theaters, and I went to work as a projectionist uh, there and a bouncer in the parking lot. It was a, a real tough inner-city area. So there were a lot of fights and a lot of things in this parking lot. I met a woman there uh, we call Mrs. V. She moved to Denver from Oregon, and she was from a little mountain town in an inner-city tough area and I remember looking at her and her husband saying these guys are never going to make it around here but when she introduced herself she she addressed all the employees and she said I I would like to open with prayer and I want you all to know that Jesus loves you and I was like what a whack job (laughs) what what is holy roller lady man she's lost it Uh, and she would pursue me uh, often and I would actually avoid her here I'm this tough kid running around the street, and I, I did not want to be around her. So all along you had people, God was reaching out to you, but you weren't listening Yeah, at, the, at that point. Well, how did you get into the really serious criminal activity, though, that ultimately it, developed? It was from this theater. Yeah. How uh, did that happen? Uh, the world kept spinning. Uh, I got her praying over me, other people praying over me. I actually excelled at this, this uh, movie stuff. I got an opportunity to move to Dallas. Uh, on the upon the agreement that I could graduate high school, so I went back to high school. I had dropped out for a little bit, and I I did get my diploma inside the principal's office. Uh, my grandmother challenged me. She said, "I don't believe you can do it. It's okay if you can't do it. A lot of people can't. Nobody else." And I said, "It's not that I can't. It's that I choose not to." So we went back and forth. She challenged me, and I went and got it. Uh, I filled out the. I made the. Uh, I qualified for the agreement to move to Dallas and work for this company and, and be somebody. Uh, so at 19 years old, I took, uh, took the job. Uh, I came to Dallas, Texas. I got put in as an assistant manager in Lancaster, Texas. 
Uh, it was called Movies 8, Lancaster, DeSoto. And um, the money wasn't good enough for yeah. me. Uh, it was money. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm punching a clock. I'm wearing uh, these clothes. Uh, I'm answering to people. Um, I had a lot of problems in my life with authority. And um, I, uh, I, what I did was uh, I thought of a way I could use this theater to make some more money. The criminal mind starts working. And I noticed that uh, they sold tickets at the front door during the day, and they'd hit a button, the ticket would come out, and they would tear half of that ticket, give it to the customer, and then put half in a bag. Well, I figured I'd give the person a break, and I would take the other half of that ticket that was going in a bag, and I would sell the other half for me. So I'm selling one for the theater and one for me. I think we're working out okay. Uh, shame on you if you know what I'm talking about. And then I realized I had access to the, well, I knew I had access to the to the concession stand and the registers. So I chose a register that was mine. I put it out of the out of order during regular hours, and then I used that when we opened up, and uh, I probably refunded a lot of hot dogs and stuff that were never sold. So we are uh, here with Philip uh, Science Hall, and uh, we, this is Recovery Radio Houston, and we are going through his testimony, and we're going to hear on the other side about his remarkable journey, uh, joining the mob, uh, getting uh, imprisoned, getting out, and uh, and how that happened, and, and all the ministry and activities that he's involved in today, and just how God has transformed his life. So you can join the program at 1-800-808-5548. And, uh, Tony, why don't you tell them about our podcast? Yes, and if you want to listen to our show anytime you want, and you can't make it at 4 o'clock on Saturday, you can download our podcast, have, subscribe to it, have it sent straight to your device, Recovery Radio Houston Podcast. Subscribe and enjoy. We'll be right back after this short break.
This is Pastor John Allworth, and you are back with Recovery Radio Houston. We are here with Philip Anthony Signs Hall, little Anthony, as we've, we've learned it in his early years. and He's the author of the book, From the Bullet to the Bible. And uh, we, we apologize. We had some calls, and, and we had a technical difficulty. So if you tried to call and couldn't get us, try again at 1-800-808-5548, one 5548 and you can join the program. So uh, we talked about Aunt, uh, Philip's early life uh, and how he got sort of introduced into criminal enterprise. So I want to focus this, this second half on, on what God, how God transformed you in your recovery. But tell us real quickly, if you could, about the kinds of criminal activities you ended up being involved in. Uh, from there at the theaters, man, it, just, it went from theft just to bigger theft. Um, I, I had uh, made a call to Big John one night, and I explained how I wanted to be part of the life of what he, had, what he was doing. Uh, long story short, man, it's in the book. I got introduced to the mob. Took a few tries. They tried me out with uh, a family called the LaBarba family up in Dallas. And I started out doing uh, just collections uh, from bookies. And uh, whoever owed Mr. LaBarba's faction money in any facet whatsoever, I would get an envelope with with a copy of their driver's license or any ID and a few addresses. And I'd get a dollar figure. And I'd get those at his warehouse up in Dallas and... uh, I got pretty good at it. I had some good help. Uh, I knew Big Pops from the Irish mob. Uh, I was introduced to a, a whole group of them guys on the East Coast. And uh, my my job was, uh, I was a soldier. I hadn't been inducted. I was an associate, but I hadn't been inducted into the mafia just yet. Uh, some things happened. Uh, I made some enemies on the wrong end with the Marsalis family out of Louisiana, uh, they blew my car up, literally, and I had to go back to Denver and start over. I got kicked out of Texas. Uh, I went back under John's wing. I got introduced to the Small Dome family. I started doing the same thing there in Denver that I was doing here, and I was good at collecting. Um, I didn't burn bridges. I just uh, angered the wrong people. Yeah. Uh, so did you ultimately get uh, what what we've heard in the, in the movies is, as a made man? In May 11th. Really? Uh, May 11th in the early 90s. May 11th is very uh, significant. Uh, I was taken to a dinner at a restaurant called Gaetano's, which is a heavy mob-based restaurant in, in Denver. I uh, was told it would be a ceremony and I would be made, I would become one of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of ours is uh it's it's better than a friend of ours uh if i can ex- explain that uh, and a friend is an association to the mob one of ours is a blood in blood out kind of thing it's be you become family somebody's that, that's a lifetime commitment it's a lifetime commitment uh you leave in a box um there was a ceremony uh it it, it looked like a séance to me to be honest and i still hadn't grasped the power of the mafia and who they were. I was still very young. I should have took it as seriously as they did. I went in. Uh, they spoke Italian. And I was with Chauncey Smaldone. Uh, Big John translated for me. They explained that I was going to be taking an oath called Omerita, which is a code of silence, not to work with police where you can be seen or in the public and because there were a lot of police that were working with us uh, on a dirty end and to keep silent about all the activities that we do 
and that you were to take the oath of La Cosa Nostra. Now, La Cosa Nostra is different than Cosa Nostra. Cosa Nostra is the mafia out of Sicily and is only in Sicily. The American-Italian mafia is La Cosa Nostra. And that's what you got involved in. And that's what I got involved in, and it, and it exists only in the United States. And so you got into this collections. Did you also get into drugs and, and things, yes. things of that nature? I, t- I took my oath, and I believe I sold my soul that night. Right. Uh, but it's been bought back. It's La Cosa Nostra, first, God, second, family, third. That's the order they put that's it in. That's the order you took. You agree to it. They prick your ring finger. They drop your, your drip your blood on a, mine was a car to St. Michael. Uh, they light it on fire and say, may your soul burn in hell like this card in your hand if you defy our oath in any way. And did you ultimately become a drug and alcohol user yourself? I started, I made the connection uh, with the Gambino family uh, in El Paso uh, with the Juarez cartel. Wow. And I was moving guns uh, because guns are illegal in Mexico. I was moving guns across the border, and bringing in shipments of cocaine and ecstasy. we got a call on line one. We've got Melissa. Uh, Melissa, how are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. Do you have a question for uh, Philip? Yes, I do. Um, Philip, do you, ever, do you ever miss the excitement and the rush of your old lifestyle? I miss the camaraderie. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I, I do miss the power. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, but at the at the end of the day, when it was all said and done and the feds came down on top of us and the drug addiction had beat me up, uh, I was running from Jesus with all I could run. Um, my best so-called friends uh, were the ones out to kill me. Well, you've got a more powerful wow. ally, ally now, my friend. So, well, thank you for joining the <laughs> I have program. one more question. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, how does one get out of the mob without getting killed? Uh, let's just say I didn't get out of the mob. I'm just not active. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks thank for, you thank so you much. Melissa. Thanks for God joining, bless the, you. joining the program. You, can, you too. You can, you can call us at 1-800. Really, really enjoying the show. This is fascinating. Thank you, Melissa. We really appreciate you joining us today. You, you can join the show by calling 1-800-808-5548, 1-800-808-5548. You know, we're... we're Short on time, but I want to go. You said the addiction took hold, the, and, and the feds got involved. What what happened? What happened? I, what brought this to? to I broke head? an unwritten rule, and that's I got high on my own supply. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. a number of things led up to that, and they say the mob doesn't deal in drugs. That's a lie. Everybody that's in criminal world deals in drugs because there's a lot of money in it. The key is you don't get, you don't use it. I tasted it. Uh, I smoked some cocaine, and it took my mind far away. And then I hit it like a freight train. Uh, I smoked about 60 grand worth in about three weeks. I became uh, paranoid. I became all the things that I had saw on the streets and the evil had come into my heart and I thought I was done. I, uh, the mob uh, turns back on me. Uh, anytime you're involved with police and drugs, that combination, you might as well write yourself off. You, you are a dead person. It's just a matter of time. So um, did you get arrested? Uh, I did get arrested quite a few times. I've been arrested over 114 times. Really? Um, I've got many assaults on my record. Uh, I was running from the law. I was running from God. And I'm I'm a tornado of things. Uh, they say Moses brought uh, Ten Commandments off of that hill. I broke 11 of them. Okay. Uh, I was under Multiple invest- times, it sounds like. <laughs> I was under investigation for murder on two accounts, extortion, racketeering, fencing, arson. So, so, so what was the tipping point? When did when did it happen? 
Uh, on the run, uh, I joined Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. That's a whole other story. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. hooked me up to the Teamsters, and I hid out on the train for about a year. I decided that it was time to come home. I didn't know all the damage I had, had done. I didn't know how much I had destroyed. Uh, I have children that I have ruined their lives. Um, I tried to take my life uh, because of the drug addiction. I didn't want the feds to get me, and I didn't want the mob to get me, so I was going to take my own life. Due to the power of prayer that was going on in my life, somebody found me. I ended up in a hospital. Uh, I got arrested when I was on the run, running from uh, running in, in Dumas, Texas, to Raton, New Mexico, making my way back into Denver. So, because I've seen part of your testimony online, mm-hmm. and people can go out there and they can search your name on, on YouTube and see parts of your testimony and, and some of the appearances that you've made. We're going to get into that in a minute. But you made a deal with your brother. You're, you're in prison, and or you're incarcerated anyway. You're in jail, and you're facing how many years? I'm in jail. I'm facing 20 to life. I had cases all over the country. Um, they had finally narrowed it down to, to Denver, and before I got sent into Arapahoe County, which was near outside of Denver, Colorado, which were in 2004, I was going to start October 2004. I was going to start what I called my tour. Uh, back then you went before they went to paperless, you would follow your cases at each courthouse. Now you sit in one spot. And the judge comes to you on screen. Um, from 2004 to 2006, I'm going to various courts and they're building my case. And at the time, during this time, my attorney, C.J. Berardini, back in Denver, a mob guy, mob lawyer, he dies. So all my connections to money are gone. So now I'm broke. I'm in jail. Uh, I have a visitor, my younger brother. He comes to see me. I hadn't seen him in a few years. Uh, and he starts to pray over me. Praise the Lord. And what did he what did he ask you? What did he tell you? After a couple prayers, uh, I started having nightmares in jail, uh, conviction. Uh, I felt people preaching to me that were called that were, I would call jailhouse religion right. in jail. Guys are studying, telling telling about how great life's going to be when they get out and they're going to follow Jesus and all that. And I used to mock them. I used to pick on them. Shame on me. Now now I'm going into prisons and praying with them. Right. They were doing something I wasn't. They were chasing Jesus. And but what did your brother tell you? What, what on, deal on, did you on make a, with On him? a deal, he said, hey, first he came to me and said, hey, man, I got Jesus in my life, Phil. And and, and, he, and I said, well, good. Uh, that's, that's great, I guess. Um, how's mom doing? And I avoided those subjects over and over. Yet he kept telling me how great Jesus was and what he could do if I, if I let him into my life. Praise the Lord. And I said I didn't want him there. Um, on a bet. Uh, other, you stop praying for me. I told him, stop talking me about Jesus, or I cut off your business and disown you as my brother. I don't want to hear about it no more. He said, I'll never stop praying for you, but I'll make a deal with you. Let's say you don't do twenty to life. Let's say a miracle happens because I'm gonna pray a miracle over you. Let's say all this happens. Will you go to church with me one day? You don't do ten years, and I said, all right, pal. You'll stop all this praying. You got a deal. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. So what happened next? Because the judges and the lawyers I'm about to go in front of are bigger than your Jesus. I'll prove that to you. That's what you told him. That's what I told him. The the judges and the lawyers were bigger than Jesus. All right. And so Uh, what did Jesus do? Long story short, uh, I got uh, a public defender, about three feet tall, her first job. I was her first case. I told her, send me to prison. I don't want to work with you. Uh, She prayed over me as well. 
Um, she went so to work. So you got all life. these people throughout your life: your grandma, the ladies from the church, power you, prayer. You man. got the people, people at the at the at the theater. You got your brother. You got all these people that are praying for you. You're turning your back on Jesus, but he keeps knocking on the door. I was mad at him. Uh, he took my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up in my house and the abuse in the streets and all that, all those who prayed for Jesus, he never showed up in my eyes. Yeah, but so he, I was mad at it. But him. he was there. So, so yeah. what happens in your court proceedings? Um, prosecutor uh, has lost lost my case somewhere along the trail. Of it getting to the courthouse, he's got two chances to recover my case. So for thirty days, he uh, he just tries to find it. He can't find it. Sixty days comes and goes. He can't find it. My lawyer, uh, I had already signed papers. I was ready to go to prison. My public defender fought for me and said, there's no case against this man. There's no evidence in this court. Uh, I don't ask for a, he requested a mistrial. She didn't ask for a mistrial. She asked for a dismissal case because there was no evidence on hand. They had to let me go. They lost all your file, all the, all the proceedings against you. They, it, they developed this. Oh, they they found them by now. But uh, <laughs> back then, yeah. But you, but you've yes. got a right to trial. Speed. I'm a, I'm a uh-huh. lawyer too, and so as well as a pastor. So so they can't put on the case, and so the judge dismisses it. She went straight for the throat. She said yeah. all thing, all the cases dismissed, charges dropped everything so i know there's a long process to get yeah. you out of jail still because of the way the it's, system works but you get out of jail one day in denver and what do you do i go to my brother i go to my mother's house and my brother who lived about four hours away happened to be there my mother wasn't there and i didn't know i had a lot of explaining to do uh, my brother answers the door it's about midnight and uh he he says Bill. And I said, man, I'm out. And he goes, are you supposed to be? <laughs> Did you escape? <laughs> yeah. yeah so. so we had some good fellowship. And in the morning, I asked him uh, if, he, if he had a church he was going to. Uh, he said, um, yeah, man, I do. Uh, Pastor Brian Cedarwall in Denver Church, you want to go? And I said, no, nah, not really. But uh, I, I want to find out what's going on. There's, there are the things that were happening in my life ex- in extraordinary ways. And I, I know now that it was my Lord and Savior. Amen. So you went, you went, and a deal was a deal. You'd made a deal with your brother that that if uh, a miracle yes. happened and and you didn't do twenty to life, that you would go to church. So you went to the to this church called Denver, Denver church. church, and uh, and Pastor Cedarwald. And uh, how, how how long did you go to that church? January uh, two thousand seven uh, to May of two thousand seven. And on May 11th, the day we talked about earlier, May 11th, uh, when I when I sold my soul, uh, May 11, 2007, I invited Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Uh, September 2nd, I was baptized in the South Platte River. And that was filmed. I'm so gracious. I so, saw it. It's online. That yeah, came yeah. to me later on. Somebody did that. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. That yeah. is That is cool. So you gave your life to Christ in 2007. Everything changes. So when did you start getting active? Uh, well, you know, I saw a testimony you gave online. And I think it was with Pastor Cedarwall at, at Radiant Church as a guest. Yeah, so that's on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out. And and uh, he said something very poignant at the end. He said, uh, "You know, this that you are proof of what Jesus, said, what Paul wrote in Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are new creations in Christ. Amen. So this is a story, folks, of somebody that was 
uh, had a terrible, difficult youth and and uh, difficult situation running in a gang at eight years old. Got involved in organized crime, and but Jesus was still there, still there, ready to forgive him as he and, always is. As he always is. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself, you know, you think you're you're a slave to addiction, you're locked in it. You think your your brother or your sister or your husband that there's no hope. There is always hope. There's nothing impossible for our Lord and Savior. Nothing, nothing at all. So. When did you start on the trail of of this ministry that you have from the bullet to the Bible? I didn't ever want to. Um, I didn't want to pursue it. My mouth was shut. I'm free. I had a visit by a man named Michael Franzese who came to Denver. Uh, he's known as the last godfather to walk away from the mob and live. A uh, very profound Christian man. And uh, in a roundabout way, I was told uh, if you... You chase Jesus with all your heart. We'll find out if it's if it's uh, real or not. It wasn't him that told me, but uh, an associate. And uh, after five years, uh, they uh, I had no calls, no brushes with anybody. I never asked for any favors. I knew I couldn't go back. But I I really surrounded myself with with, with Christian people, yep. and by sheriff's department and judges, uh, they would come by my house when I was in Texas. And I thought they were there to harass me, but they would, uh, after a while, I would run from them and I said, leave me alone. And uh, one of the chiefs in Oyster Creek invited me to his jail if I could share my story with him, with one of the his inmates that he was real worried about. So it kind of started there. My wife made me uh, take notes and from the notes went to, it became a book in 2018, August it was released. Praise the Lord. You know, I saw something that... Pastor uh, Cedarwall said in in that testimony, uh, he said that he used to call you up and that uh, you were just you couldn't get enough of the Bible, you couldn't get enough yeah. of the Bible. I also saw a little talk you gave about people in this quarantine time and how this is a time that we should redirect our focus, put away the distractions of this life, and redirect our focus on on a relationship with Him. I think it's got to start at home. It really does. And uh, us as men and even single mothers, as parents, it's got to start in our home. Right. And I think a blessing out of this COVID, we've had many opportunities to have fellowship with our families. Yes, we have. Um, if And I'm working on it with mine. There's restoration coming with my two sons. With I, I hope to get to share the second part of this someday again with you. Because uh, my walk with Christ right now, my second book is called From the Bullet to the Bible Sanctified. And that begins the real struggle the the attacks that the devil uh, came after me full right. on full after I come to know Christ and how I had to arm myself with scripture and I would stay in scripture I call my pastor at two or three in the morning I, I'm reading this part and he would answer I said man I can't put it down what's this part mean and he finally was like Phil man we we got to sleep uh, I'll catch you tomorrow I didn't know what time it was but I couldn't put it down. Well, that's why Paul writes in Ephesians that we have to protect ourselves with the armor of God, because once we start making a difference in the kingdom, the enemy will come at us, and he and he will. I mean, he's out there like a roaring lion. He never he never stops. So, tell us about your ministry. What are you doing now? I mean, you you were you were speaking this morning. What were you doing this morning? I was at a CMA Christian Motorcycle Association, it's the largest motorcycle Christian group in the world. I think they're in all but four countries. Um, they're just street guys, you know, they get together and I got to share uh, some of my testimony this morning. I was at uh, shout out to House of Hope. I know they're listening. 
in Madisonville last night, and then the DA's department, the police department, DPS showed up, and it started at 7 o'clock. We were supposed to go to 8, and ended up with a praising God and watching the Holy Spirit move among these guys. That are, Some are getting out of prison. Some are about to go in if they don't get right. So this so, is called the House of Hope. House of Hope in Madisonville at 1230. We didn't get finished till almost 1 o'clock this morning. You know, let's let's pray. Let's continue to pray for our police officers. You know, they're, they're under a lot of scrutiny right now. But here's an example of how they're working with guys out of prison. Uh, they're, they're doing kingdom work. They're in this house of hope. Uh, you're, you're testifying. How long were you there last night? Uh, from 7 till we were around midnight. Uh, well, so I, it was only supposed to be an hour event, but I couldn't help but looking at these guys' eyes and seeing a piece of me there and telling them, you know, there's a, there's a Jesus. He loves you. Uh, I ran into the lady that played, prayed for me in the theaters, my old boss, here in Houston. How cool is that? 34 years later, still praying over kids down here in Houston. Praise the Lord. Well, <laughs> you, you know, that's what this program is about. We've had a, we've had a guy from Crosswalk uh, that, that is a group that goes into prisons and uh, ministers to the guys. They have a 40-week a, uh, program where they get to know the guys and, and disciple them in prison, and then when they get them out, uh, they they provide housing and job training and, and reintegrate them into society. We, we've got one of our partners in this radio show is is uh, uh, Open Door Ministry, which takes guys off the, that are homeless and, and that are addicted or have mental illness, transforms their lives, gets them you know gives them education, gets them uh, takes care of all the problems, medical, dental, you name it. It's a holistic program, and the number one thing is is Jesus saves. So you know that's what we're trying to do here with this with this radio program, Recovery uh, Radio Houston. Is we're trying to educate people out there and show them that there's always hope in a relationship with Jesus, and that there are people out here. We we've had a interviewed a guest a couple of weeks ago that uh, she runs a high school that that deals with kids that are in, have substance abuse pro- problems. You know, <laughs> well, how many of us could use that when we were kids, but got it on the right ro- road with a with relationship with Jesus back then and avoided all this stuff but you know the irony of it is philip and and what i want to take my hat off to you is is that the further down we've gone and the the more horrible things that we've done in our lives the greater testimony we have god uses that uh we're overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony let's not forget our guests from last week we're having our second organizational meeting organizational meeting for a restoration ranch tomorrow uh if, if anyone wants to uh to give donate time or money or anything they can look them up on facebook Restoration Ranch, or they can go to our Facebook page, Recovery Radio Houston, and contact us with anything that you want to donate, time, money, goods, whatever. Yeah, and that's an opportunity to get on the ground floor. You know, when yeah. you get on the ground floor or something, you can have incredible impact. So, I promise, Sarah, I throw a plug in there. Well, that's, and we'll keep plugging, then we'll have them back on. Yeah. Hey, Philip, if, if people want to help uh, your ministry or want to get more involved, where should they go? They can go to www.philipanthonysaneshall.com. And uh, we just started a, a donation page. This is going so fast. The Lord is opening so many doors. And anywhere I can go in this country to to talk to someone and say, hey, there's still hope out there. Uh, we got to stick together and pray over each other. Um, I'll go there no matter what. Well, that's wonderful. I've seen a little bit of your schedule and, and the fact that you're sharing your testimony. And, you know, that's really when we get into a supernatural, supercharged recovery is when we start giving back and helping with our testimony. That's wonderful. Tony, how do people join us on our podcast if they miss this live? Yeah, the podcast, you just search in any uh, search engine, 
for Recovery Recovery Radio Houston podcast. And uh, whatever type of device you have, you can subscribe to it, save it to it. It'll send it to you every week automatically. And uh, that way you'll have us with you wherever you go. And you can listen to the show and pass it on to others. And, you know, we, I've got a church. It's called New Covenant Church Greater Heights. Uh, right now, because of the pandemic, we're online. We're on Facebook. at 6 p.m. every Sunday night. I'll be preaching tomorrow about the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. And uh, I invite you to join me. You can join Facebook Live or catch the videos later. Hey, we love you at Recovery Radio Houston. More importantly, God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. See you next week. Good night, guys.